0: And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. right? And it's just the two of us this week. We hate to disappoint people. Sorry, Liz isn't here. She went
1: back to Portland, Oregon. That's right, on the left coast. She and I had a very nice trip. Where'd you go? Well, we spent three days in Lubeck, which is uh, the easternmost place you can be in the United States. And we went across the bridge to Campobello Island, which is in Canada.
0: But it's like a joint. Canadian Well,
1: the park is. There's an international oh, there's park, park because that's where Franklin Roosevelt had his uh, summer, home. summer home. The interesting thing that I didn't realize is the Canadians who live on there have to come across the bridge to the U.S. to do anything they want to do. It's not a very big island, but there's a lot of homes on it and stuff. But there are no, there's a couple convenience stores. But like, so to do all the grocery shopping oh. and everything, they have to come to the U.S. And I think the closest Canadian city, I think they have to go up to the border crossing, like in Calais and go over to Saint Oh, 16. what a pain in the ass! So they
0: might as well be Americans. Well, did you Although see they probably that don't want there to was be... a there was an article in the in the paper a few weeks ago about that town? There's a town that is split by the border.
1: Uh, in Vermont, Derby, B- yeah. Vermont. Yeah, and then,
0: what a pain in the ass! Yeah.
1: But in any case we also went we spent 3 days there and then we went cuz well you asked where we went No, I'm not I'm not we went up I'm to Aroostook, interested. Aroostook County, the Crown of Maine, which is the northern, you know, the county. The big county up in Maine. And it very um nice and remote. We didn't see any moose, but every night in our ho- motel room, hotel at Eagle Lake, we could hear the sad wow of a female moose who's looking for love because it's that time of year. Aww. Yeah, and this our last night there, we heard two of them and just all night. It sounds like a cow mooing only longer. Yeah, poor but little we didn't moose. See her. We went we went on a nice hike up Dibuli Mountain in the Allagash region, Ooh. which is the farthest northwest I've ever been in Maine. It was very nice.
0: The farthest north I've been in Maine is Fort Kent.
1: Yeah, we Which were in is Fort Kent too, yeah.
0: north. But then well, I just drove well, straight down through Eagle Lake when I came right. back down. Drop
1: like we said, dropped like a set of keys down Route yep. Eleven, all the way down the state to my hometown.
0: Nice. But, I mean, the town I live in.
1: But Tabuli Mountain isn't farther north than Fort Kent, but it's the farthest
0: northwest
1: I've ever Ooh, been. It's off in the Allegheny yeah. region. Yeah. But that's a lot of information nobody cares about. Yeah. So. Why
0: don't we I have Very no updates so I have an update. Okay. Episode twenty nine was Annie Dukan Wicked Bad Chemistry.
1: We have a lot of updates on her.
0: And she was the chemist in Massachusetts. she rigged her results. Results in favor of prosecutors and got caught. I'm not gonna go into the whole story. You, you have can to listen to episode twenty nine. Um, Recently, uh, last week, end of last week, there was a hearing for two defendants who were getting compensation for the fines they had to pay because of her. They were convicted of drug possession, so they were getting compensated. Supreme Court Justice Robert Toon in this article said that he would estimate that just the compensation for fines and stuff could be over $10 million for her. And I talked about another chemist in that episode named Sonia Farrakh, who was in the... western part of Massachusetts, and she was also messing around with the Results, but hers was to cover up her taking, like, every single drug she possibly could while yeah. she was working. So between the two of them, they think it's going to cost Massachusetts $10 million, and that's just for compensating fines and stuff like that. It's not yeah. for punitive damages right. or whatever they want to call it's it. It's
1: cases being thrown out. It's,
0: cases are being thrown yeah. out. They're are being vacated. Right. So that was just an update. Yeah,
1: well, thank Annie you. has
0: already served her time and is out of jail because this was, what, 10 years what ago? doing for a living. She could be a pharmacist or something. Uh, she
1: probably
0: could be. I mean, you know, it's a very interesting story, especially because her motivation was not like the other woman, not like Sonia. People. Like, Sonia is kind of more an everyday crime right. because it's just like, I want to take all these drugs. But
1: Annie wanted to make please people and get yeah. positive attention. Poor
0: Annie. And... I'm sorry, Annie.
1: You need, uh, I hope
0: you get help. Okay, so that was that. And you actually
1: have two topics. A I do. Topic. I have
0: a mini topic that I wanted to talk about.
1: Okay, it's kind of sad.
0: Yes. So before I start the main story, I'm going to tell you a story that's happening here in Maine. It's <laughs> made.
1: I like what you did there. Before you start the main story, you're going to talk. Oh, about I didn't even. I Maine. didn't even do that. Both well, of them are main stories. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It
0: made national news. Yes, they both are from Maine. It's the story of little Frankie the dog. Oh. I've been reading about this for the past two weeks. I have a few sources for the story, mostly the Portland Press-Herald, but also the Bangor Daily News, People Magazine Online, oh, wow. and the local TV news WCSH and WGME. Wow. Because everybody loves a story about a dog. That's true. On the evening of August 30th, 2018, Melissa Foster of Hancock, Maine was on her private beach when she found something wrapped in plastic that had washed up. Now, Hancock is on a peninsula in down east Maine. Yeah. It's just across Frenchman's Bay, like north of Mount Desert Island, where Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park. Yeah. Melissa called to her husband, Matt Foster, who happens to be the district attorney for Hancock mm, County.
1: Happens to be.
0: They unwrapped multiple layers of plastic to find the body of a small dog. Oh. The body was decomposing, and an eye had popped out, as Matt had to tell the bank of news. <laughs> it, it was pretty gross. Was for, it a pug? Yes, I'm getting to that. rice pop home. Yeah, but he was also decomposing. Okay. But he's a pug. Frankie was a pug Boston Terrier mix. Four days earlier in Winter Harbor... Which is a town of about five hundred permanent residents. Liz
1: and I drove through it on our when between when we were driving from Lubeck up to it. It's a cute to kind of, town, I It, I've it been was cute. Yeah.
0: It's southeast of Hancock. So when you're looking at a map, there's Frenchman's Bay is in between. It's also on a kind of on a it's on the Scudic Peninsula. Yeah. Frenchman's Bay, Mount Desert Island is there and then that there's like the jagged coast is like there's all these peninsulas yeah. sticking you, out into Frenchman's fun Bay. Fun
1: fact if you straightened Maine's coast out it would be more than 3,000 miles long. Yes there and we talked about
0: that on the live. Malaga one oh, which was right. I did. think that was tw- maybe episode say 25. Say <laughs> you always want to say 30 <laughs> I know. but it wasn't 30. No wasn't. anyways so this guy in Winter Harbor Philip Torrey called police to report his house had been broken into and his dog Frankie was missing. Frankie was a six-year-old Boston Terrier pug mix. Phil Tory adopted Frankie when he was a puppy, the dog, together with Tory's girlfriend. The relationship ended and Frankie went with the girlfriend. Three years later, a friend of Phil saw Frankie at the animal shelter and told Phil.
1: Hmm.
0: I'm like, why wouldn't she just give it back to him? Maybe she hated his fucking guts. I, well, we, we don't know. Phil said, we went. Or maybe r-
1: she was a vindictive bitch, on the other hand.
0: Or maybe she, they just didn't keep in touch and yeah. she didn't even think to call him. Phil said, we went right down to the shelter and got him. He seemed so scared at the shelter, but once we got him back in the car, he was running around kissing me and kissing Budget, who was Tori's other dog. Mm. And no, I don't know what breed that Budget is, and oh, it kisses me say. off. Okay. Frankie loved to sprawl... Well, can I
1: just say... They don't follow the Mooring Milliken yes. rule of editing is that if you mention a dog in a news story, you really need to say what its breed is because yes, people want to know. this comes
0: up. In Thank my, you. I wondered this several times, as you will, when I go along with this okay. story. Frankie loved to sprawl on Phil's teen son, Simon's lap, watching TV. When Phil came home from his lobstering work, Frankie would run around with a squeaky toy in his mouth. Aww. Phil said, he's just a little dog but he's much bigger than what he is. He'd be there at the lobster boat races and gatherings at my house. He loved those days because he could run around and everyone would feed him a little snack. He was part of the family. Mm. Phil, his girlfriend, and I think Simon, It was the reporting wasn't great on this story, left for New Hampshire for a concert. So this is a new girlfriend.
1: August. Yes, a yes. new girlfriend.
0: yes, Or a different girlfriend. A different girlfriend. Yeah. girlfriend. They left for New Hampshire for a concert Thursday, August 23rd. The next morning, Phil's sister, Doreen, stopped by his house to let the dogs out, but only budget was there. And again, I wondered what type of dog budget was, but
1: they, don't, they don't tell me.
0: It was very upsetting to me.
1: It upsets me.
0: Doreen thought that maybe Frankie had escaped, but she became worried when Frankie hadn't returned by that evening. She also noticed that her brother's car, a Hummer, was damaged (laughs) and covered in mud. She contacted her brother and Phil drove home to look for Frankie. That was Friday. When Phil Torrey's friends and acquaintances in Winter Harbor learned about Frankie's disappearance, they sprang into action, sharing the news on social media and searching the streets and woods for the little dog. If you've ever lived in a town that small, everyone knows each other and everyone knew Phil's dog. Mm -hmm. Phil and Simon searched for three days. Tori said, I had a feeling in my heart something bad had happened. Simon really wanted to keep looking. Poor Simon. He's like Aww. 16. On August 26, Phil Torrey called the police, so that was Monday. Was they anything looked else? all weekend. I'm
1: sorry. Was anything else missing?
0: Not that he knew of. He just, the co- the Hummer was damaged. Right. And the dog was missing. That was all he noticed. Phil Torrey is a sixth generation lobsterman. Nathan Burke, 37 years old, had been a sternman on Tory's lobster boat for three years. Justin Chipman, 22, had worked for Phil, too. Torrey had known Justin since he was a kid. And it's not clear from the news stories how the conversation came about, but Nathan and Justin told Phil that while he was away, they borrowed the Hummer to do an errand at the town dock.
1: Did he leave the keys around?
0: Knowing what it's like in a lot of these small towns, he might have left the keys in the car. A lot of people do. do. I do
1: that actually.
0: Or he might have. They knew where he left them. They worked for him, so maybe you know he trusted them. He thought they were friends. Maybe somebody an extra key, right? So they said they went to the town dock with the truck. Nathan said he and Justin didn't know anything about Frankie, though, or where he was. At first, on his Facebook page, Phil wrote... Apparently Frankie must have got out late Thursday night when my Sternman stopped by the house to use the bathroom. My sister and others have looked for him the last two days and talked to police and called shelters, but nothing. Nobody has seen or heard him. He just disappeared. Please message if you have any information or have seen him. The Hummer was badly damaged. It had broken mirrors and gouges on the side panels, about $2,000 worth.
1: Jesus Christ. I would
0: be fucking pissed yeah. if a supposed we, friend borrowed
1: it to barred it to my dock. car
0: without my knowledge and trash. I'm thinking that they admitted to Phil they borrowed the car because I'm sure people saw them in it. Yes, like It's a, it's a small town, yeah. and it's, everyone probably knew right. his car. The town dock has surveillance cameras. The Hummer had not been at the town dock mm. that night. Phil found a piece of cheese and Frankie's leash in the back seat of the Hummer. And remember, they said they didn't know anything right. about what happened to Frankie. And he used to use the cheese to get Frankie to come or whatever. Mm. A bullet casing was lodged in the grill on the front of the car. Mm. Phil said, I called them and said, you need to tell me what's going on. If you have something to tell me, tell me now or I'll call the police. Mm.
1: I'd A couple hours
0: later, they said they had Frankie with them to go for a ride and he ran off. But people in small towns talk. Mm, They do. According to court documents, before all this happened, Nathan Burke told someone he didn't like Frankie and that, quote, one day Frankie would come up missing. What? Shipman also didn't like the little dog because Frankie had gotten in a fight with Chipman's dog. As Phil told People magazine, Justin's dog ran in and Frankie went after him. We had to break them up. They weigh less than 30 pounds each, so it wasn't hard. Justin was pretty mad. Why dogs do that? No shit. Nathan Burke admitted to Phil that he and Justin Chipman took Frankie for a ride because Frankie was being mean to budget. And again, I want to know what kind of dog. Was budget big? Was he small? Was he a chihuahua or was he a fucking black lamb? And
1: why wouldn't they take budget for a ride if Frankie was being mean if they hated Frankie so much? I don't know. It's all bullshit. I know.
0: Burke also told Phil via text messages that he was, quote, smashed the night he took the dog. Dog. Yeah. The two men finally turned themselves in on Monday, September 3rd, after their faces were all over the news and social media. They have both been charged with one count each of aggravated cruelty to animals, Aggravate the criminal mischief, burglary, theft, and unauthorized use of property. At this time, neither has entered a plea, but both denied hurting Frankie. Mm. Matt Foster, the district attorney, will not prosecute the case because he and his wife are witnesses. What a coincidence, to, too, that the assistant. I know, the, and I mean, if you look at the map, it's across the bay. Yeah, his body washed up across well, the bay. Well, those
1: idiots probably thought it was going to wash out to sea or They're something.
0: Fucking morons. Yeah. An assistant district attorney will take the role of prosecutor. He said his he and his wife were horrified by the decomposing dog. Foster brought the body to the Winter Harbor Police when he found it so Phil could try to identify it, and I'm assuming because of his job and the small population of the area, he was aware of the missing dog and the burglary, but again, it wasn't reported very well, so I have no idea how he knew,
1: Right?
0: you know, because like, he immediately brought it. Right. So he must have been aware of what was going on, so I don't know if it was somebody else, if they would have even... I hate that bad no. reporting. Oh, uh, there's... no. Uh, Negative Nellies would say missing information Yes, Nathan Burke was released on $1,000 bail But Justin Chipman was not released from jail At the time of, of these current crimes Justin Chipman, who was the younger one, the 22-year-old Was out of jail on conditional release for a terrorizing charge mm. So even though he got bailed too He got $1,000, he's not going to get out Right. Um, both have received death threats, and Burke's attorney is lamenting that they won't get a fair trial because they've already been convicted. In the media, touch right shit. Yeah. Police believe the men brought Frankie somewhere and shot him with the gun they stole from Phil's house using the headlights as illumination. That's how the the, bullet right. got, the casing got lodged in the... Right. The main state crime lab in Augusta is doing a necropsy on Frankie. Then he will be returned to Phil Torrey so Phil can bury his oh, puppy. Oh, that's
1: sad. And also, it's, it's a It's so huge, pointless.
0: I mean, most crimes are.
1: Well, it's a huge red flag when somebody... The guy's already been convicted of terrorizing. And I'm going to convict him in the media because this is a podcast and that's what we... He obviously fucking did it. And the other guy was probably just some fowler. He doesn't like a guy's dog, so he goes to the guy's house when the guy's out of state, takes the dog in the guy's car, and shoots it. That's a fuck? fucking psychopath.
0: And, like, they're both psychopaths. Like, I don't care how drunk you are or what your fucking problem what, is. What
1: is the thought pattern behind, hey, I know what let's do. Let's go Phil. yeah, he's a nice guy, and we work for him and everything. But since he's out of state, let's go get his car I hate that
0: fucking dog, man. And get that
1: fucking dog we hate and kill it.
0: Well, they must have something, some kind of resentment against him.
1: And then what's the end game? Like, how do you explain it
0: all? What did they think was going to happen? I I know, uh, that's what I'd like to But also, like, they obviously, they had some beef. I would like to know a lot more. I need to know more. But it's funny that if they had just probably taken him and shot him, it would make the news.
1: Who Phil? Yeah,
0: yeah. But it wouldn't. Not that I'm saying they should have. Instead, I'm saying it would have made the news, and it might have made national news, but it probably have, wouldn't. But a
1: lot of people get shot.
0: But they probably wouldn't have gotten death threats and well, stuff. I th- but it's because it's an animal.
1: Well, well I mean, and also to, and also there's also the thing that we get with a lot of main stuff where it's very Maine-y. The guy's a lobsterman. The guys are your typical, really dopey, dumbass, rural guys who are acting like the drinking and the fact that the DA found his I wife know. found the dog I think some of those elements also add
0: it's weird too it's another one of those ones where if it was in a book you'd be like as if the yeah. DA right. is the one that's going to find the friggin it's too much dog coincidence. like in a book the DA would be like the star of the book and yeah he'd be like he'd be handcum. he and his good-looking wife I don't yeah. know if they are or not they have the private beach though
1: well, it, there's a lot of I private
0: mean, uh, beaches. When you live on a peninsula. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, so that was my I, little story no, about little good. poor little, little Frankie. Frankie. We'll have to follow up. We'll post a picture of the little. We will. He's When a I cutie. update them.
1: Maybe this weekend I'll update the website. And by Maybe. By time people hear this, they'll see it updated. Okay. So that was like the short subject. Yeah. And now the, the featured.
0: And this one is also a main story. That's been in the news very recently. That means I'm going to have to fucking update it. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Yep. And this is about a wonderful man called Albert Flick. Flick. And I keep wanting to say Frick because I have a customer named Frick, but it's Flick. It's
1: still a, a name that you, it's like, it's like if you had that in a book, people would say, yeah, uh, you what know. a
0: weird name. Like, what are you, J.K. Rowling? Well,
1: he's obviously the, the bad guy because of the
0: name you gave yeah. him. In July 2018, things were finally starting to look up for 48-year-old Kimberly Dobby. Her life had been in a downward trend for a while. Mm-hmm. Kimberly was originally from the Harvard-Concord area of Massachusetts, where they shot, shot her around the round world. Round. That's
1: where the Revolutionary War started. And it's a beautiful, those are it beautiful is, towns.
0: Yes. She had a certificate in early childhood education and worked at the Alston-Brighton Head Start as an assistant teacher for years. Some sources say 10. But others don't. I don't know. Again, bad reporting. But What you know. were
1: your sources for this? Pilot?
0: Oh, why didn't I say? I don't know. For this story, Boston Globe, Portland Press-Herald, Lewiston Sun-Journal, Biddeford, all the local papers. Wow. They had all different things and different reporting. Mm. It's like, ugh. So, But I had to look up her obituary and stuff to find out more about her because, as usual, they don't say much about the poor victim.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting you found different things in those papers since most of them are all owned by the same company and use all the same content.
0: Well, a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. It was wherever I was looking, I guess. So she worked at a Head Start. She worked in Alston-Brighton area, which is... In Boston. In Boston area, yeah. Before moving back to Harvard. And Harvard's Not, more, a little bit north. It's in, it's in... West.
1: If you're driving down from New Hampshire Maine to Worcester, where you yeah, go through. Yeah, because I
0: used to go through. She moved back to Harvard to raise her twin sons, Dylan and Cole. And I was unable to find out what happened to her marriage or if she had been married. Her family name is Dobby. So if she had been married, maybe she got divorced. I don't know. She didn't take the slave name. I couldn't name. find... <laughs> I couldn't find out where the father was in this equation. And I'm not judging her for it, I just... You're judging the reporting. Yeah, because I wanted to know, like, okay, what's going to happen with these kids Did Did Horobits
1: mention a father? No. No.
0: Which is weird. Yeah. It's not super relevant to the story, but no. I'm well, just was curious. a detail. Friends say she moved to Maine after being unable to afford the cost of living in Massachusetts and wanting to raise her sons in a small-town environment. She may have also lost her job down there, again. Mm. About two years ago, in 2016, she and her twin boys moved to Farmington, Maine, a town of about 8,000, which is about 80 miles north of Portland. I had a hard time finding out if she worked in the Farmington area. One of her sons is on the autism spectrum, and she was getting some Social Security income for him, but not much. So in any case, she found herself without a place to live in May of 2018. There aren't many places for homeless families to go in Farmington, so the small family moved to Lewiston, about 43 miles south. It, is, it does seem like it's west, but it...
1: Well, the way Maine is shaped... It's know, weird. Because Farmington is considered western
0: I Maine. know it is. I agree. I know. It's from Franklin County. I know what it is. I know. I mm. I'm just saying. Lewiston proper has a population of about 36,000. Right across the Anderscoggin River is Auburn with a population of about 23,000. The neighboring cities are basically one municipal area which are formerly thriving mill towns. There are a lot of poor people in the Lewiston-Auburn area or LA as we call it. There are more programs that could help her get back on her feet there. She didn't have a car. So with her boys still in school for the next month or so, she would put them on a bus every day to Farmington to get to school, which, like I said, 43 miles one way. It was tough trying to get her life under control, and she had been living in a homeless shelter while trying to apply for housing benefits. She had been spending a lot of time at the Lewiston Public Library where there are resources for people in her kind of situation. Her persistence paid off. She got accepted for Section 8, a voucher system that helps people afford a place to live. She found an apartment in Jay which is between Lewiston and Farmington. It's closer to Farmington, about 30 miles north of Lewiston. And there's about 5,000 people in the town of Jay, and it used to have a huge paper mill.
1: It still does. Oh, it still does? Fun fact. Oh, maybe on. not as fun. It's in Androscoggin County, the same county as Lewiston. The more I think about this fact, it's pretty boring. But <laughs> they, th- since Farmington is a closer service center, there's been a couple times when they've had votes to change counties. Oh, yeah, but that makes it sense. hasn't.
0: Because Farmington's the county seat of Franklin County. Yeah, it's in southern Franklin County. I know that from working for a Loy- lawyer as a legal yeah. secretary. Caseworkers were going to help her move on Monday, July sixteenth on sunday july fifteenth kim cole and dylan took their laundry to rancourt's laundromat on sabata street in lewiston she put in a load of laundry to wash and then went outside she was on the phone with a male friend from massachusetts she sat down on the step as she spoke on the phone and started telling him about a man who was stalking her and would not leave her alone Mm Then the man on the other end of the line heard her scream. Kimberly was being stabbed to death by Albert Flick, a 76-year-old man who had befriended her a month before and had turned into her stalker. Uh. What Kimberly hadn't known was that Albert Flick had a history of attacking women and had, in fact, killed his wife in 1979. He had been convicted of that crime, sentenced to 30 years, and had served over 20. I'll tell you more about Kimberly later. But right now, let's go back and talk more about Albert Flick. And I did send you, did you see the email? There are pictures of Rancourt's laundromat. Yeah, laundering. but I didn't open them. Oh, okay. Was, was it, yeah. But there, there's oh, a thanks. good picture, okay, so you good. can kind of see. Excellent, yeah. And there's some of her kids, which I don't want to put on there, but no, I just I want either. you to see them. Okay. Because I know how you like pictures. This was another case that required me to go to the library and look up microphones. Welcome for you. And even then, it was hard to find out details. My librarian's getting to know me pretty well, though. I bet. He and I are both. Also online, I found a copy of the Supreme Judicial Court of Maine's decision on the appeal uh, Flick filed in 1980. The decision came down in 1981 and affirmed his conviction. He was just the normal shit. Like, he said that when they searched his car, which we'll talk about, that it was it was illegal and stuff. They always pick the yeah, same thing. Yeah, you gotta find something. But he, no. Sorry, Mm -hmm. buddy. The 10-page response to his appeal has a lot of information, and it seems like the source for most of the current articles that discuss the murder of his wife. In addition to that document, I did find several articles in the Portland Press-Herald from 1979 at the time of the murder as well as the trial. On January 10, 1979, Sandra Flick, 35, served her husband, Albert, 37 with divorce papers they were living in westbrook maine just west of portland in an apartment on brown street which is close to the sd warren now it's sappy paper mill albert worked as a donut maker though i couldn't find any specific information about his employer i think it was dunkin donuts
1: why do you think that? Because
0: one article said he had been a donut cutter and fryer for 19 years, and when we were kids, Dunkin' Donuts used to have a window where you could watch the guy cut the donut rings, and he would flip them up onto his thumb and then toss them in the basket and fry them.
1: That's right, I forgot about that. The guy I
0: used to watch was not Albert Flick because no. it was in Augusta, but that's why I found a Dunkin' Liz Donuts. Liz worked at
1: that Dunkin' Donuts.
0: It might not have been Dunkin'. There may but have
1: been another donut shop where the same thing.
0: Could be. So anyway, the Westbrook police served the divorce papers and stood by while Albert left. He wasn't too pleased about it, but he wasn't surprised. Mm. His five-year marriage to Sandra had been on the rocks for a while. At his trial, Albert testified... That the couple's troubles began the previous year when they were living in Colorado. He said that Sandra told him that she and the children would be moving back to Maine with or without him. They had two young sons. He testified that her former boyfriend, the father of her daughter Elsie, was visiting Sandra while Albert was at work. He also said that Sandra began acting funny and wouldn't cook him dinner anymore. Oh, hmm. That's always a sure sign. Yeah. Albert moved to Portland and got an apartment at 60 Grant Street, which is about a block away from where I would live. Like, I remember when you lived. Twenty years at Grant late Street. I mean, five years later. Yeah. Like in the early 80s. He continued to go by Sandra's place in Westbrook, supposedly to get his stuff, but also to harass her. Mm -hmm. On several of these visits, Sandra called the police to get Albert to leave. On January 29th, and this is still 1979, according to court records, Sandra called Albert and told him to come get the rest of his stuff out of her apartment. Two days later, Wednesday, January 31st, he drove to Westbrook and parked about three quarters of a mile from Sandra's apartment. He had a jackknife and a gun. Mm. Sandra's daughter, Elsie Kimball, who was thirteen or fourteen at the time, different sources had different ages, and that someone said twelve, but she wasn't twelve because she's fifty-three now. Mm-hmm. No,
1: I was seventeen.
0: It was nineteen seventy-nine. I was yeah. fourteen. I, well, I, I think she's fifty-two or fifty-three yeah. now, so she was she's the same age as me. She was in the back bedroom listening to records when Albert knocked on the door. Albert was picking up some fishing rods, but supposedly the children wanted the hooks. So he and Sandra were going to remove them. And I find this part of the story confusing. That's right. Is there something special about fishing hooks? I don't know.
1: They could hurt a kid.
0: And they're Maybe they wanted young them for a school
1: project or something.
0: I don't know. But they had five rods that they were cutting the hooks off. I don't know. Uh-huh. That was a very confusing yeah. to me. But whatever. I don't fish. So if, if one of you listeners does, you can tell me why yeah. they would be taking the hooks off. Mm-hmm. But in any case, he took out the three and a half inch pocket knife ostensibly to show sandra how to remove the hooks Mm. according to elsie who was watching through a cracked door sandra bent over a fishing pole to try to remove the hook and Albert grabbed one arm and bent it behind sandra's back he covered her mouth with his other hand and shoved her into a chair he told her he loved her and didn't want to hurt her sandra was able to get his hand off her mouth long enough to scream to elsie who came out of the bedroom It's
1: funny, by the way, that Elsie was watching through a crack in the door, so you wonder...
0: She cracked the door.
1: Right, but what I mean is, you wonder, like, if things were normal...
0: Yes, she wouldn't have been, believe me. She told Elsie to run and get help. Elsie saw Albert sitting on top of her mother, who was in the chair. Elsie testified later she heard him say, Now you've done it. Elsie ran downstairs to the apartment of Alfie Daniels, the maintenance man. Alfie's wife called the police. Alfie had been working in the building when he heard a girl screaming in his apartment and went to investigate. His wife told him he needed to go up to the Flick's apartment on the third floor. (laughs) It's like you go up there there's a guy stabbing somebody. You gotta go up there.
1: (laughs) Go up and make him stop.
0: As he climbed the stairs towards Sandra's apartment, Alfie met Albert coming down covered in blood. Albert told Alfie that Sandra needed help. And he, quote, didn't mean to do it. Mm. Alfie found Sandra suffering from a cut to the throat and multiple stab wounds, but still alive. Alfie said in court, Sandra said she knew she was going to die, held out her hands and wanted me to help her sit up. Then she told him that her husband had stabbed her. The first officer on the scene was Officer Wayne Cyphers of the Westbrook Police. He arrived a little after 10 a.m. He ran into Albert first, who held out his bloody hands to the policeman and said, Hurry, I did it. I didn't mean to and then he gestured toward the living room sandra was still alive at this point and also told the cop that albert had stabbed her officer cypher saw a jackknife closed and bloody on top of some clean laundry in a basket near sandra the westbrook rescue unit arrived and took Sandra to the osteopathic hospital in portland the closest emergency department which is now called brighton medical center it's just a four mile drive but she didn't survive the trip when albert was arrested he asked the police to retrieve a three fifty seven magnum revolver from under the front seat of his car according to police he told them he was afraid a child might somehow get a hold of the gun and get hurt police also found The box and packaging from the jackknife in Albert's glove box. People who saw Albert after the stabbing agreed he was shaken up and he started crying when told by police that Sandra had died. For his part, Albert told the police that he and Sandra had been arguing about the custody of the children. He said that while he was cutting the fishing line, she pushed him and then she tripped and fell against the knife.
1: Oh, what a a bad accident, what a misfortune.
0: And the knife went into her chest. He wasn't able to remember anything after that. Mm -hmm. According to Dr. Henry Ryan, the chief medical examiner for the state of Maine, Sandra died from her wounds. These wounds comprised about 20 stab and slash wounds, 14 stab wounds mostly in her chest, and two deep cuts to her neck.
1: Wow, that's a hell of a fall! She also
0: had defensive wounds on her hands. This is what Albert said at trial when he testified on his own behalf. Hmm. His memory seemed to have recovered somewhat if you compare the testimony to what he told police back in January, and the trial was in July, so it wasn't very well, long. Well, that was fast. It, they moved there. I think they used to be faster. Yeah. They moved he said long. that the previous day, January 30th, Sandra had threatened to harm the children and then cut her wrist rather than let him have custody. Uh-huh. On the next day, when he went to the apartment, he said he took Sandra by the shoulders, pushed her in the chair and sat on the chair next door and told her he wanted to discuss her threats then according to albert Sandra said she would never give up the children albert told her he was going to go to a lawyer in the welfare department because he was afraid she was going to hurt the children here's a quote from albert about what happened next she shoved me as we got up out of the chair picked up a jackknife and said she'd kill me i told her to put the knife down and not be foolish i grabbed her arm She backed up, tripped, and we both fell on the floor, and the knife cut her somewhere. I don't know what happened after that until I remember seeing her covered with blood. I didn't have a knife in my hand and made her sit down and said, My God, what have I done? Hmm. He told the court he did not remember telling police he had stabbed Sandra after an argument. A neighbor and friend of Sandra's had been at the apartment the Saturday before Sandra died. Albert had come over to visit the boys. The friend Cordelia Cosino said that Albert told Sandra that she was, quote, a lousy mother, and he was going to get custody of the children and would kill her if he had to. Mm-hmm. Albert's lawyers, Gary Wood and Mark Dunlap, argued that Albert should not be found guilty of murder but involuntary manslaughter. He had no criminal record and no intention of hurting anyone when he came to the apartment. He was just jealous, frustrated, and angry, and he exploded. They also said that since Albert was at the bottom of the IQ scale, almost borderline mental retardation, this is their word now, yes, he had a hard time remembering what happened six months ago, thus his changing story. The prosecutor, assistant district attorney, David Cucci said that psychological tests had shown that Albert Flick was of average intelligence, not developmentally disabled, but he was unable to solve abstract problems and was only able to problem solve in a concrete manner. So instead of hiring a lawyer to to gain custody. His solution was to kill the kid's mother.
1: Mm-hmm. It's easier. Yeah, I guess so. It's cheaper.
0: <laughs> yeah. The jury of seven women and five men deliberated for three hours after the four-day trial and found Albert Flick guilty. On July 10, 1979, six months after Sandra Flick filed for divorce, Judge Harry Glassman sentenced Albert Flick to 30 years in prison for her murder. But as we know, that was not the end of Albert's story. There are differing reports of how much time Flick ultimately served. For the death of Sandra, most say 25 years in the papers, the recent ones. But he was first released from prison in October 2000, so it was a little over 20 years. He was a good prisoner and got time off his sentence. Prison did not reform him. In 2007, Albert Flick attacked his girlfriend. A different than not sandra punching her and stabbing her with a fork and was charged with misdemeanor assault involving domestic violence apparently he didn't leave her alone because criminal threatening felony assault and aggravated assault were added to the charges two months later he was charged with tampering with a witness and violating conditions of relief and i couldn't find a lot about this crime I did find some once I looked a little further, but the Biddeford Sun Journal. Journal Tribune? Sorry. the Biddeford sh- I worked there once. Yeah, I know. The Biddeford <laughs> Journal Tribune did talk about his past crimes. Other ones just said he had a history of violence against Where
1: them. was he living when that one, the two 2000- thousand
0: I don't know. It was in Portland, but I don't know yeah. where. He had to serve six months for the first charge, and he had other time for the other charges, but he got probation. But then because of him threatening her again, his probation was revoked and he was sent back to prison for two more years. He was back out of prison on probation in 2010 when he assaulted another girlfriend. Because these guys always seem to find girlfriends and wives. The girlfriend and Albert were on his Bracket Street, which is in Portland West End, right near where I used to live. They were arguing. Albert grabbed a kitchen knife, put the woman in a headlock, and started to strike her with the butt end of the knife handle. According to the victim's testimony, he said, if that doesn't work, I know what will. But she was able to knock the knife out of his hand and ran out. Meanwhile, Albert it was looking for another weapon. She fled to her own apartment, which was in the neighborhood. She called the police, and as she looked out the window, she saw Albert running up her driveway with a screwdriver in his hand. When the police came, they found Albert back in his apartment building. He was in the process of hanging himself from the fire escape in the back. It took them about three seconds to free him from the noose, but he was already unconscious. They took him to the hospital. Obviously, and unfortunately for Kimberly Dobby, he recovered. Not long afterward, Albert Flick was back in court on two matters. First was the probation violation since he was on probation for the he was still on probation for the 2008 attack and any criminal conduct is a violation and probation can be revoked and the defendant must return to prison to serve time the second matter was the new assault the presiding judge was judge Robert E Crowley Prosecutor Catherine Tierney asked the judge to fully revoke Flick's parole and make him serve three years and 11 months, the rest of his original sentence for the 2008 conviction. Also, she asked for an additional four to five years for the new charges. Tierney said, I know that the defendant is an older man and that the court and society may think that this individual is going to stop committing crimes, especially crimes against women and violent crimes against women with weapons, but his history has really shown that he's just not about to do that. And so I think the only appropriate sentence is for a significant prison time. Clearly, probation is not working. At this point, I just don't know what else to do. I think there's a huge safety risk to women in society when it comes to Mr. Flick. And just to remind you, in 2010, Albert Flick was about 68 years old. Albert's probation officer, Troy Thornton, also testified. He said, he's an extremely violent individual when it comes to relationships. He doesn't appear to have slowed down at this point, and I don't see him slowing down in the near future. Thornton had an admittedly unusual request for the judge. That Flick should have to let the probation department know when he started a new romantic relationship and with whom. But Judge Crowley didn't seem to think Albert's violence against women was a big deal, even though he had killed his fucking wife.
1: Yeah, and which? How many women at this point had he? He did? had
0: the two, but how? Who knows what? Right? What? The I ones mean, that weren't? Yeah. Two besides his wife. Yeah. He stabbed his wife to death, and then he stabbed two other... He attacked two other women, stabbing and trying to stab them. Crowley did fully revoke the probation, sending Flick back to prison for almost four years. But for the assault, the sentence was three years suspended and one year probation. Judge Crowley said, At some point, Mr. Flick is going to age out of his capacity to engage in this conduct, and incarcerating him beyond the time that he ages out doesn't seem to me... Based on what? I don't know," Ask Judge Crowley. To make good sense from a criminological or fiscal perspective, again, I will say Albert was sixty-eight, and he would be in his early seventies when he was. And released. it
1: doesn't sound like Crowley is basing this on any scientific no, evidence that dis. His opinion. You, He's a judge. It's yeah. his opinion. Yeah, some everything. a
0: lawyer I know said that Judge Crowley's a good judge, and I'm like, what, nah, what lawyer? Billy. Our
1: brother. Yeah.
0: (laughs) A few years later, out of prison again, Albert was walking down Congress Street in Portland. Who should he run into but his 2010 victim, the one he chased with a screwdriver? Mm. He approached her, stared her in the face, and said, you'll get yours. Mm. The victim flagged down a cop who arrested Albert. A grand jury indicted him for felony criminal threatening, but he ended up with a plea agreement for a probation violation. He was out of prison again in 2016. So back to July of 2018. Kimberly Dobby and her two sons, Dylan and Cole, were living at the Hope Haven Gospel Mission shelter in Lewiston. I read a story in the Lewiston Sun Journal by Bonnie Washuk. Oh,
1: Joe Clark's sister. Oh, really? Remember the Clarks?
0: Yes. In which Kimberly's two friends from the shelter were interviewed. I also got some quotes from a New York Times article. In fact,
1: Bonnie Washuk worked with Dad at the KJ.
0: Oh, I thought that name sounded yeah. familiar. The two women in Dobby spent much of their days at the Lewiston Public Library since they had to leave the shelter during the day. And that happens with a lot of libraries. Yeah, people most are, libraries
1: yeah. in Maine have homeless people.
0: Well, I think in the country, probably. Yeah. Kathy Cormier, one of the friends, says she told Kimberly the Saturday night before she was killed, quote, just hang in there. You'll be gone for in two or three days. This was in response to Kimberly worrying about the man who had been following her around bothering her, Albert Flick that evening kimberly was extremely shaken and upset about albert and his relentless attention but her friends and probably kimberly herself didn't think a man his age was a physical threat they joked about getting him a mail-order bride they told her she should send him a text message saying to stay away kathy said that saturday night it was you know no matter how meek this man is these things can turn very fast we didn't expect it to be within ten or twelve hours after the murder kathy cormier said You can't classify this as domestic. It's stalking. This was never a romance, never. It's stalking by a nutso man. There's a pattern to this. He was following her everywhere from morning to night no matter where she went. Laura Kirkland, Dobby's other friend, said she was bubbly, cheerful, always smiling, a perky redhead even when she was frustrated. Both said that Kimberly was, quote, over-the-top nice. They said she was a devoted mother who had... Did
1: her smile light up the room?
0: They didn't say that. She was a devoted mother who had just had a lot of bad luck. Kathy said she'd remember her smile forever and Mm -hmm. that the boys, quote, were her life. Mm -hmm. So she did remember her smile forever. And we're not making light of pork... We're making fun of... The cliché... I
1: know it's hard... And actually her friend did a nice job, but I know it's hard for people to think of what to say about other people when they're killed. But it's very difficult to watch a 48 hours or dateline where the victim's smile didn't light up a room.
0: Or everyone loved them. They never met a stranger. Though she had told Albert Flick to leave her and the boys alone, according to Kathy Cormier, quote, to this man she never would have been rude or mean. It was not in her nature. But Cormier does feel that Flick got the message that Kimberly didn't want her around because he, quote, followed her at a distance. Mm. According to the two friends, Albert Flick used to eat meals at the shelter, which is where he first met Kimberly. The New York Times said it was at the library, but I think the Sun Journal is more accurate because they were interviewing her friends. He seemed nice and offered to buy them meals. Kimberly had very little money. Her snap, which is... What does... It's sub, food stamps. Yeah, it's food stamps.
1: Supplemental Nutritional should, something, something Program.
0: And that allowance had been cut because she was living at a shelter. So apparently if you're at a place that serves meals, you probably right. cut your... As Kathy Cormier said, she was just plain out of money, and any mother's going to accept that. Which is true. Some old, nice, seemingly nice man, she didn't know him, right. saying, oh, let me buy you a meal. Right, and, and this was sons. when they first met. Yes. yeah. yes. Everyone around Kimberly noticed the old shuffling man who followed her around at the library, at the bus stop. He wanted her to be his girlfriend, but she told him she wasn't interested. According to Cormier, Albert and Kimberly's friendship of about a month took a turn once she got the news that her Section 8 funding had come through and she got an apartment. Cormier ran into Albert, Kimberly, and the boys at Walmart and started discussing the move with Kimberly. Here's a quote from the Sun Journal article. Albert started talking about getting a truck, Cormier said. Puzzled, Cormier said Dobby's possessions were already at a church in Farmington. She said to Flick, all you need is a little U-Haul. He insisted his stuff was to be moved, too. He said, we have a lot of stuff coming from Lewiston, Cormier said. Kim was looking at me. She wasn't saying anything. That night, Cormier told Kirkland that Flick was planning to move with Dobby, even though she did not want that. Probably a week later, she told him he was not coming with her, she didn't need his help, and she didn't want that kind of relationship for her laura kirkland and kathy cormier said that Albert flick tried even harder to win kimberly over he bought her clothes which she gave back he followed her all day long starting in the morning when she left the shelter her sons were worried about her though they spent most of the day together at the library the twins would be in the children's section upstairs while dobby and her friends were down but once Albert started hanging around they would come downstairs periodically to check on their mother kirkland said i noticed they were coming down more looking for her saying where is my mom even dobby's mother who came to visit said according to Cormier, this man's creepy. You've got to get rid of him. Mm. Her friend said that Flick upset the boys, made them uneasy, mm-hmm. and he in turn did not like them. He Uh-oh. expressed his feelings that if Kimberly did not have the boys, she would be free to have a relationship with him. Oh, that's and just to scary. remind you, they're 11 year old twins. Yeah. Even though Kimberly kept telling him no, although no one was aware of his violent past, too bad they didn't Google him on the library, library computers. I computer. know. Oh, yeah. The friends were worried that he may hurt the boys, but you wouldn't expect that. And
1: even if you Googled him...
0: Yeah, he's, he comes up. Does he? Yeah.
1: What Would he have come up That Supreme T4? Court thing
0: came up, oh, yes, okay. yeah. According to the New York Times, Kimberly went to police about Flick, but Chief of Police Brian O'Malley said there's no record of that. He said she didn't come to us. I wish she had. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Had.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if she went. And they didn't file a report. She started talking about it. And they're like, what's he just following you around? Yeah. You, there's not much we can do about that. And she didn't file a report. She, and they talked her out of filing yes, a report I, because it happens all the fucking time. It does
0: happen all the time. That's why I, I don't... No I mean, he probably... To, no offense to him, but he probably wasn't no, aware of no it. No
1: offense to any police listening but this is one of the issues that people don't recognize
0: other observers took note of albert flick's presence also the librarians at the public library became used to seeing him with kimberly dobby and this is according to an article in the lewiston sun journal again by bobby Washak, a different article children's librarian david moorhead said I got a bad vibe. Not a murderer vibe, but a bad vibe.
1: Wow, David Moorhead sounds like a badass when you do his...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Moorhead said he didn't really like Flick hanging around the children's section, but, quote, but then he said he was helping, and she, Kimberly, backed that up. They were together a lot. He seemed to be part of her support team. She never approached any of us and said she didn't want him around. Diana Larrabee, a community concepts worker, which means she helps people like Kimberly, who spend a lot of time at the library, so they actually have someone on staff that helps people.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, Community Concepts is a is non nonprofit.
0: Ah. She's, yeah. So you know so much. Yeah. She said she saw Flick a lot, and he acted normal, polite, and appropriate. Mm. As she told the Sun Journal, there were no issues. He wasn't giving me that vibe of creepiness. He seemed like a nice guy helping her out. He'd say, I'm just helping Kim today. But the story notes that when Larrabee was telling saying this, she started crying. Mm. And I, I I know you just said you knew that, but I actually never realized that public libraries have those kind of resources for people, even though I do go to the library pretty regularly. And obviously I know homeless people spend a lot of time at the library, especially on cold days.
1: It depends on the library. But I didn't
0: know the extent of their services. It's, well,
1: it depends on yeah. the library. Like so a library in a little town isn't going to, Lewis and kind Auburn. Of, no, Houston, a big town the where there's a lot biggest, of homeless people. Yeah. The second biggest population center in Maine. And there's a lot of poor people And there. it's a very poor area, and there are a lot of immigrants and refugees and homeless people, so the library has services that maybe some other libraries wouldn't.
0: And David Moorhead, the children's librarian, said, I don't know if you've ever been poor, but people treat you very differently. There's a lot of waiting around, and you have To be here at this time and have to do this and that. She, meaning Kimberly, complained about the way she was treated in general. People assume if you're homeless, it must be your fault. Here we try to be nice to people. We're just librarians. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I have to take issue with some of the reporting about Dobby's murder. I noticed a lot of headlines and articles referred to her as a homeless woman or a transient, which to me had a judgmental ring. Yeah,
1: transient is a pointless adjective or noun to use. In a news story, if somebody's truly a transient if they're just traveling around yeah. um, and have nowhere to live. You know, there seems to be a need sometimes to label people. And she, Yes, technically she was homeless.
0: Woman, I mean, she was living in a shelter, and I don't think it's relevant.
1: It's not relevant to a headline and, and it or seems, the lead of a it story. It just seems
0: judgmental to me.
1: It's, it minimizes what happened to yes. her. It's, you know, later in the story you describe what her situation is. But to use that as an adjective in a headline or the lead of a story minimizes. I know, and I know they're not trying to do that. It's just. But they are. One of my biggest peeves: lazy cliche yes. reporting.
0: Moore had said the boys. Not to
1: knock Bonnie Washa. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't in Walsh. hers.
0: It wasn't in her story. I want to. I want to make that clear. Herald. One of them was in the Press Herald, homeless but transient. Might have been the New York Times. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah.
1: I find New York Times articles about Maine are snotty and condescending. And the New York Times can come and get me if they don't like that. Well, you
0: know what? One of the articles I read, going back to Frankie, called Winter Harbor Remote, which it is, but you don't need to say that.
1: Hello, every Boston Globe story about Maine that... Isn't about Portland has the word remote. I've even tweeted And about it's like it. you don't need to everything say it's, it's remote. Is fucking remote. Who gives a shit? And rural.
0: That's I know, not what they like to use. Moorhead said the boys spent hours at the library reading or on computers, and one of them liked to spend his time doing historical research or looking at maps on Google Earth rather than play video games. Moorhead said, I didn't see her ever do anything that didn't involve trying to make a home for those boys. Kimberly said goodbye to the librarians who had helped her so much on Friday, July 13th. Then came Sunday, July 15th, her last day. As I said at the beginning of this presentation, Kimberly had gone to do laundry that morning. She left the shelter a little earlier than usual, or Albert was a little late for his daily stalking. (laughs) He must have known the routine because he showed up and she wasn't at the shelter, so he followed her, Kimberly and her twins, to Dunkin' Donuts on Main Street. Then he followed them to Rancourt's Laundry. There's a video recording taken from a surveillance camera of the sidewalk in front of the laundromat. Albert Flick can be seen pacing back and forth, holding something behind his back. When he attacked Kimberly, the video showed the boys running back and forth between their mother and the laundromat. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen the video except the part of Flick pacing. I think it's not public because of the boys being minors yeah. or something and yeah. it's probably part of evidence because the be. only thing they ever show and i tried looking it up was him pacing yeah they show him pace. it's creepy though He's i'll put pace. that on our website as i said before kimberly came out of the laundromat after putting a load in the wash and sat down while talking on the phone that's when albert flick pounced on her and began stabbing she screamed because she was seated it was harder for her to get away as a just th- like
1: the wife he killed, i know she was I know. as well
0: i know As her friend Kathy Cormier said, she was sitting down and couldn't get away from him. The man on the phone with her heard her scream. That was it. And if you look at the photograph I sent you, the steps she's on, there's like, it's between two buildings. There's these steps. Well, there's probably one building's taller than the other. I guess you can't really tell, but there's steps that are kind of between two walls. So she was trapped because she couldn't, it's not like there were open steps. She was like, a man visiting Lewiston from New Hampshire was down the sidewalk and heard Kimberly scream. He ran over and got Albert off of her kicking him then he held albert to the ground until police showed up her sons watched the whole thing kimberly was rushed to central Maine medical center in lewiston but died from her wounds where she was isn't very far from no i was gonna say it's just down the street albert was also brought to the same hospital saying he had chest pains fuck him he was arrested upon his release as being held without bail until his trial for murder i wouldn't be surprised if they should just do a plea agreement come on fucking guy When questioned by Main State Police detectives at the hospital, Flick said he was angry and jealous about the man on the other end of the phone call, the one in Massachusetts. It, quote, had to do with whoever he is. Had to do it.
1: Right, but he obviously had a knife with him.
0: Yes, that's true. You know. But he said had to do it. Albert told the police he had met the man once. In court on Tuesday, July 17th, Albert Flick pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. At the same hearing, Detective Michael Chavez from the Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit testified about the evidence the police had so far. Alan Lobozo, Flick's defense lawyer, asked if, according to the video from Dunkin' Donuts, Kimberly had seemed to make room for Albert at the counter where she and her two boys were sitting. Chavez said that was a reasonable assumption. Lobozo asked if she had left Albert alone with the boys while she went to the bathroom, and Chavez said yes. So it seems like the defense is going to try to make it seem like Kimberly wasn't worried about Albert Flick, but what difference does that make?
1: Well, she was on the phone telling a guy he was fine. No him.
0: shit. My feeling is that she didn't know how to handle it. She wasn't assertive enough to tell him to fuck off, and most of us have been there, we just haven't... And had to uh, say it to a convicted right. killer. And
1: also, if somebody says, like the police or somebody says, well, what's he actually doing? Oh, he's just following me around. And, you know, and they're like, well, he's he's just an old guy he's trying to help you. you yeah, know. Yeah.
0: The day after the murder, Andrew Scoggin County Superior Court Justice Mary Gay Kennedy impounded the affidavit that was written to support probable cause in getting a search warrant. So, a lot of stuff is still not known. But the fact that this man stabbed this poor woman to death is not in dispute. And there was a video of him at Walmart buying two parry knives. He apparently admitted to police he bought them a few days before and hid them in the waistband of his pants behind his back under his shirt. And I think they're talking about the kind that have the little plastic cover. I've got a couple of rows. Right, I've got those, yeah. Um, the Hope Haven Gospel Mission posted a statement on their fe- Facebook page on July 16th. The circumstances are horrific and two little boys lost their mother in an unimaginable way. We asked the community to pray for Kim's boys and for the family she leaves behind as they face the days ahead. At a vigil the Monday night after the murder, a friend of Kimberly Dobby, Nina Parent, said, he kept trying to pursue something with her. Police need to take it seriously when women say they fear for their life. A simple background check could have saved her life. That's what I was going to say.
1: If she went to the cops,
0: could they have their like said, Well what's, what's his, his name? name? At the same vigil, Kathy Cormier said, She will always be remembered for her smile and the love of her children. Mm. She was taken way too soon in the most heinous of ways. Okay. Remember Elsie Kimball, the daughter of Sandra Flick, who witnessed her mother's death? She's now Elsie Clement and lives in Florida. This is what she said to WMTW about Dylan and Cole Kimberly's twins. There is no recovery from what they witnessed and the loss they are enduring. Ale may have wielded the knife again, but this time there are others who should be held accountable. In an interview with WCSH, she said, "'With the prosecutors, and I know the defense attorneys have a job. I know that their job is to defend their clients, and they were assigned to Al. But I just don't understand how all these people can justify their part in this, because even though he's the one that actually committed the crime, I think their actions provided the opportunity. I would like to see them all stand in a line and stand there and tell these boys, explain to them how this man was on the streets and how it's okay.' how the law makes it all right for their mom to be gone and them to have to witness it. Mm -hmm. And that's Albert's story for now, and I will keep you updated. Yeah,
1: I know you you make fun of me for always bringing up the gift of fear.
0: But even
1: though that book was written 20 years ago, one of the things it's about is if somebody gives you the creeps and you can't quite put your finger on it, if you go through, especially with someone who knows the stuff, I'll tell you, well, he did this, and he did this, and those are red flags. And don't
0: worry about feeling judgmental well, or well, something. Well, and part you know? of the
1: issue is people, especially women, feel they have to be nice. Yes. They don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but also they don't feel heard. And it's, she could have gone to people at the library. She could have the th- or gone to the social workers or people at the shelter and complained about him. But if, she, if she's like a lot of people, you kind of play that out in your head. And they'll say, well, what's he doing? Well, he's, just, he's hanging around me too yeah. much. Oh, he likes you. And how many times Oh, he's is got a, girl, a crush on you, even right. if it's an old times, man. Oh. Right. How many times is a female, from the time you're a little girl, uh, all the way oh, yeah. to, when a guy is annoying the shit out of you, do people brush it off and say, oh, he, it's just because he likes you and stuff? And to minimize it all because he's an old man is given his record. Not that a lot of people knew that, but...
0: The New York Times article I read had a stupid statistic because it said most people convicted of murder don't murder again. And I'm like, okay, maybe they don't, but maybe because a lot of them are in prison for a long time.
1: Well, and here's... It, that's kind of an apples and oranges yeah. things. The guy isn't just somebody who murdered whoops, uh oh, gee, I accidentally killed somebody or I murdered somebody. He did the in same the thing. He, he would have murdered a those other women yes. assault her, and the reason he wasn't doing it all his life is because most of his life he was, he was in, in prison. prison. And the, but and it's not like he killed someone And it makes
0: me wonder what he did before he was thirty seven. He probably was he probably was violent with women. And, and
1: that idiotic statistic. First of all, I'd like to see how many people who are convicted of murder are free to kill again. I know, that's the thing. And then the circumstances, and it's not, oh, he committed a murder, so he's dangerous, although that makes somebody dangerous in most cases. It's, look at the pattern of what he did. And it wasn't like... He did
0: almost the same thing to every single woman. Right, and
1: it's not like it was the kind of murder, not that I'm minimizing those, but where you're having a fight and the guy grabs the the lamp and hits you over the yeah. head with it or whatever. He brought weapons to kill yes. her to the house. Yes. And he killed her in front of her kids, just like he did with Kimberly Gabby. And mm-hmm. Another red flag for all you women out there is if a guy, and not that Kimberly Dobby was in a relationship with him, but if a guy doesn't like your kids and doesn't want them around, then that's the last minute you should spend with that guy. Well,
0: I think the problem, one of her problems was she was a nice person, which a lot of women are. On paper, somebody is just, you know, they're helping you, they're being friendly, you're in a bad spot, and, and you feel almost like, well... Am I overreacting? I mean, am I being ungrateful? Am I, you know, he's just helping me. And I I told right. him you I wasn't interested. In, and he really hasn't been doing that much. And, and she did joke about it with her friends. Right. And you can tell your friends stuff like that. And and you I can, can understand. joke
1: about it with your friends and still be afraid of the guy yes. or feel yes. the guy. And also, probably the situation she was in and everything. Her self-esteem probably had taken a beating. And people get in this mode where they're afraid to complain yeah. they're afraid to go to authorities because they they're
0: and she also thought well you system. know what i'm going to be moving right. tomorrow i'm not going to have to but see him again just like
1: a relationship with a controlling freak her telling him she was moving and he wasn't going with her which was what she should have done i mean that's how I she know. should have handled it is well, what you set don't him expect-
0: you don't expect the person to be a killer. I mean, right. like, I think most of us have been in a situation, men and women, but I think a lot of times it happens more with women, where there's somebody you really don't want around, and you, you have to be firm, and it's hard to be firm right. with somebody, and be and they're not getting it, and you're just like, ugh, right. uh, and you just hope that they'll just get the hint. Right. Or they'll, like, if you're, like, say it's someone you work with, and it's like, oh, well, I I just gave my 2 week notice. Thank God I won't have to see that person right. again. Or something like that. I mean, it yeah. happens all well, the time. Well, in
1: the gift of fear,
0: again. <laughs>
1: Well, no, one of the things he says is women have trouble, which Kimberly Dobby finally didn't, know, apparently, but women have trouble saying to a guy who's bothering them, leave me alone. I don't want you around me. I don't want to, well, my- I don't want to interact. But also, the the thing is... They keep, and I'm not blaming women or anything, no. but I'm just saying what the thing, is how women are kind of made, they keep engaging with the guy. Like, for instance, if you break up with a boyfriend and he keeps texting you, don't text him back.
0: Don't feel bad about it. You just have right. to, he's going to be hurt no matter what you right. do. Even though she did tell him, she still like when he showed up that morning. She didn't say, "Look, I told you to go right. away." And
1: that's part of the issue. Get and the, I'm not blaming. And her. like, and
0: that's why, like that, it kind of bugs me that his attorney's like, "Well, he, you know, she, she made room for him at Dunkin' Donuts." It's like because she's a nice person and she, well, and that kind of thing. Either the attorney is
1: obtuse about women and behavior, as many are. Or he's just defending his client. He's defending his client.
0: Someone. I mean, yeah. but but he's probably trying to... I don't know what, because the guy's friggin' 76 now, so right. he's going to die well, in prison. he's doing what he does. Regardless. No. And and he. the thing is, every time he committed one of these crimes, he didn't try to hide it. No. He didn't care. No. Because he... He, he couldn't control himself. Right. And he... It's not so much that he got away with it,
1: but I think he did get some validation... You know, he blamed it on the victim. It's it's like a book I just read, A Married to Murder, I think. Or it was bad. It was a bad true crime book I just read. The guy, he first killed his wife and two teenage kids in 1978 and made it look like she killed them and committed suicide. Ah. It wasn't investigated well. And then he went on, and his third wife, he pushed off a cliff in the Grand Canyon oh, and everything. And he basically was, it was easier than getting a divorce And he convinced himself in a lot of ways that it was kind of their fault it had happened. Oh, it's always that. And yeah. But I think some of that is validated by the way women are treated and reacted to. Not that oh, it's that he's right and they're wrong. But flick
0: Well, that these went. I mean, I hate to use the catchphrase of the day, but toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like, today we were talking about, I was talking about those two cases in the paper, they're both in Maine, where a guy, one where a guy broke into his ex-girlfriend's bedroom. She had been sleeping with a gun under her pillow. And we're going to
1: hear more about this in... Oh,
0: yes, that's one you're going to do. And she shot at him, and then he said it was self-defense. Right. He took the gun and killed her. He
1: had, a, he, he had just gotten out of prison and on a domestic violence charge where he'd been for 10 years.
0: And then this other guy... And they're both the reason they're both in the paper is they're both in court appealing their cases, which I know they all do. But the other guy, I don't think she was his girlfriend, I think he he just had a crush on her. Oh, here we go.
1: Aroostook County man appeals two life sentences double murderous rampage. Marusa County man is appealing a sentence for a violent rampage in Northern Maine during which he killed two people and shot three others. Sin- when Lord set fire to Kim and Richard Irish's barn in Benedicta, their daughter Brittany Irish had recently reported to police that Lord had kidnapped and raped her. Oh, when police oh, responded to the barn fire... I hate it when they say, when they responded. They don't respond to the fire. <laughs> it's a fire! Brittany Irish said she begged them to protect her from the convicted sex offender... But they said they didn't have the manpower. And this story bad. You're your own, girlie. And this story's is bad because it should point out that there's no police departments. There's It's the biggest county. It's the size of Connecticut and Rhode Island yes. put together. And there's the county sheriff and very few state police. The next morning, Lord stole firearms from a Silver Ridge Township home and beat up a man after tying him to a chair. He then went to the Irish home in Benedicta. He shot and killed Brittany Irish's boyfriend, 22-year-old Kyle Hewitt, Wounded her mother. When the young woman tried to escape in a passing pickup truck, Lord shot and wounded the driver. He then drove her to a woodlot in Lee. He fired at two employees there, killing 58 year old Kevin Tozier. Later that day, he gave himself up to police. She and her mother filed a federal suit. So so he basically...
0: It's just this feeling of entitled. They're entitled to what they want. Right. If they like a woman, then she should... What's her problem? And Like, why don't you want to be with me? Right. If you would just do what I want, then I wouldn't have to hurt you. Right.
1: And then compounding that, the way the system... Although it's getting a little smarter, but not a whole lot. And we talk about this all the time. The way the system handles this stuff. And the lack of seriousness it gives to women's complaints. And we don't know what happened when she went to the police to complain. You know, that she says there's no report of it, so to him that means she didn't go. But as I said earlier, she very well may have gone and they talked her out of filing a report. Because, you know, he's just this old guy, you know, just tell him to get lost. And the thing is, even if it is an old guy being nice and you tell him to get lost and he doesn't, That's a problem.
0: I know. You know? You know, it's funny, because I remember I was working with someone who was really weird... And somebody I work with and me, were talking about him. That night I went home and I went on the sex offenders registry to see if he was on it. And he wasn't, but somebody mm-hmm. else we worked with turned out. To. It was funny because she had done the same thing. And I was thinking, if only, you know, and part of the tragedy is her poor sons. One of them is on the, you know, autism spectrum. Having to see that happen to your mother. I know. I mean, you never, it's like Elsie it.
1: said, you don't recover from that.
0: And it just seems so preventable.
1: But So thank you for that report. I mean, we could go on and on about the things we go on and on about. Yes. I, I think you guys all know. Well, it was
0: a local one, so I figured. No,
1: and it was good. You know, and also the more we talk about that type of thing, the more people are aware that, you know, you don't have to look like some raving maniac or be running around saying, I'm going to kill you or whatever. See, well, I it's think.
0: also, you know what, when if someone creeps you out, Google them. There you go. Why not? Why not? Especially if you're in the library. And, all day long.
1: but don't take the fact that there's nothing on Google to be. No,
0: but still. Somebody,
1: also, read The Gift of Fear. And if someone creeps you out, he has things in there. Try to consider what about the person creeps you
0: Don't with. put it this way. Don't blame yourself. No, don't. If somebody creeps you out, there's nothing wrong with you.
1: And I don't want to mean like what the library, whoever it was who said, they seem like okay. an, they. Because, especially if somebody. I mean, Flick didn't sound like a really smart psychopath or anything, but a lot of people are able to present a face to other
0: people that convinces them. Also, in your mind, a lot of times, it depends on the type of person you are, but you put someone in a box. Oh, that's just an old man. He's just an old... If you're a relatively quiet person that doesn't talk a lot, then people will put whatever they... Right,
1: like see. that. Yeah. The heart is a lonely hunter.
0: I remember once I came up with this quiet person theory one night when I was drunk. Mm-hmm. Because I had noticed several times that had happened in like a, the span of a week. I had a couple of male friends who were very quiet. I was living... Remember my roommate, Scott? Mm-hmm. I was, I was thinking
1: about a dire It's A <laughs> <laughs> <The> dire street. <laughs> when his bathroom. chair broke yeah. and he
0: like, eh. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. There was these guys I knew that were in a band or something, and they came over I was like 20 people And they came over to say hi Or I don't know It was back in 1980 You know yeah. Or 85 Whatever So people used to do shit like that They'd actually come over and hang out And one of the guys Never talked He never talked I hardly knew anything about him I was friends with two of the guys And then their friend I think his name was Chris Or something like that Just didn't talk And um, I never thought much about it And then he left And Scott's like You know that guy Chris Seemed like a really nice guy <laughs> And then the similar thing happened Another time When I had another friend who was also quiet guy who was a nice guy but he was very quiet same thing whoever i was with was like you know that guy greg seemed really really nice and i'm like what did he do or say he didn't even say one word the whole time he was there but people just put whatever they want on that person right like the book the heart is a lonely winner where
1: everybody thought the deaf mute guy was all these things and i've worked with people who were horrible horrible people but were very quiet and we're never so Still, of a waters struggle. run yeah, deep. Anyway,
0: do. so now it's time for our reviews. Our
1: recommendation. Oh, recommendations. Well, our our negative
0: Nelly writing. <laughs> you go first because I was talking for Okay. A long time.
1: Well, mine is a podcast I just started listening to. I may have to adjust my review at some point when I listen more. Didn't
0: you say this last time? Oh, maybe you I did. I probably did. Okay. Anytime
1: <laughs> I haven't fully listened, I just started listening to it because Laura Richards on Real Crime Profile suggested it. It's a BBC podcast called Beyond a Reasonable oh, Doubt. Oh, do they
0: have cool accents? They do. Ooh, and we'll nice.
1: talk a little more okay. about that. It's Beyond Reasonable Doubt with a big question mark.
0: Ooh. And So it's more like Beyond Reasonable Doubt? It,
1: yes. And on. Real Crime Profile, they're talking about The Staircase. Ah. Yeah, I know. And I am, or thought I was, totally staircased out for a variety of reasons. But listening to Real Crime Profile, where they make some of the points that I would make, Laura Richards recommended this podcast. And so I said, okay, I'll listen to this because it sounds like it may more support. And I don't want to go into a big thing about The Staircase. I haven't watched it on Netflix in its recent iteration, I watched it when it was first a big thing, what, 10 years ago or whenever. I thought it was incredible. Talk about missing pieces and that there were a lot of things about it that really bothered me, including the bias. And I know documentaries are it reserve the right to be biased, but it bothered me for a lot of the same reasons what we were talking about, Albert Flick and stuff, bothered me. So anyway, I thought I'd listen to this because if she recommended it, then maybe it wouldn't bug me. Yeah. The guy went to Durham, and it was when the last time Michael Peterson was being tried. And I won't go into the big
0: crime. Also, uh, can I interject? If you're dating someone or married to someone named Peterson, you should be a I little know. bit... Drew, Michael, Scott, maybe sometime we should do a Peterson murder. Yes. Stuff.
1: If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up. Yeah. You'll find plenty about it.
0: If and you like true crime, you've probably heard of the staircase, though.
1: Yes, you have. Anyway, I'll get into it. <laughs> Bad reenactments. Interestingly, for a podcast, they do, um, they do a lot of, they have a lot of sourcing of, from newspapers and stuff, and when they quote someone or from the court records, they use voices. And the funny thing is, this this murder took place in North Carolina, so presumably most of the people have Southern accents
0: or American accents. <laughs> do they sound like the people from Dunn disappeared? No. no. Sorry, I was just.
1: They have British accents, Ah. and sometimes in it. On one hand, it doesn't bother. I know they're not trying to recreate, so it doesn't really bother me. But on the other hand, some of them are kind of strong, and it's like you really don't have to go overboard on this British accent when the person is American, Southern American, which has a distinct accent of its own. So I'm going to take off point five because ah. I don't necessarily it doesn't really bother me but it brings you out of the story a little. okay narrative cliches so far no there's a little bit of the whole brits not getting americans but he does it in a way that is kind of cute and not overdone it's a little bit of a cliche but maybe it's a real thing too if you're British and you come over here and you're stuck with a bunch of Americans, yeah, could be. things may
0: We're be a little... We're probably pretty annoying, too.
1: Racial, gender obtuseness? No. There's a little thing, but I'm going to bring it up, I think, um, during missing pieces or inaccuracies. Um, but, it you know, he tells the story. He doesn't make a lot of assumptions about people. There really is no racial aspect at all to this story, except the judge, Orlando Hudson was black, but that's not ever mentioned. Some of the jurors who they have audio of were. And what I like is there are some things you would listen to or read that would just feel a necessity to mention they were black, and there's really no reason to. And so I think that's good. So I'm not taking anything away from that. Lack of good visuals as <laughs> it's it's a podcast. Missing Pieces, I'm only in the The episodes are very short, some are 15 minutes. Some, like the first couple, they actually have two episodes in one, so and ha- it's half an hour. So
0: it's all about The Staircase. This is, I'm listening to the
1: season that's about
0: The Staircase. Oh, okay, it so they do out, they do a different case each season, is it? I think okay. so.
1: Thank you. Yes, I didn't Sorry, mention I didn't, that. Okay. It's, I think it's about 18 episodes. It came out last summer, mm-hmm. a year ago, and it's about The Staircase. Right. And I think they do do different, do do. <laughs> different topics. They're very short. I don't know yet if there are missing pieces because I don't know if they're gonna come back to things, but I just listened to the thing I hate the most about any discussion about the staircase, the owl. Woohoo! Yeah. And and I won't go into a whole thing, but I need to explain what the missing pieces. So one whole episode was about that, and then I'm now listening to a follow up that came like two episodes later. And one issue is the guy who first brought the owl theory, who's and again, I'm not gonna go into it
0: because you if you're not familiar
1: look it up it says Kathleen Peterson the one who was killed was out apparently at midnight putting out little christmas reindeer and the owl thought they were prey initially whatever okay whatever and but the point is a nobody whenever i've heard this discussed whenever i've heard this discussed nobody has ever mentioned that in all the years cuz this murder happened in 2001 yes. Has anyone ever brought up she was out putting out Christmas decorations? She was out on the patio, then she went into the house. That's always been the story. And she had an email to do, and she had a conference call with a co-worker, blah, blah, blah. And C. Michael's email is what set the whole thing off because he was doing bad stuff. Or not bad, but bad for your marriage stuff. The owl theory, for all its weirdness, falls apart because nobody ever says, oh, yeah, she was out putting out reindeer. That was never part of the narrative. That's and also, if she was attacked by the owl and ran into the house. and The owl supposedly attacked her outside. She ran into the house, was falling down the stairs, kept falling down the stairs. He's right out there. He doesn't hear her screaming and falling down the stairs. No shit. She was dead for two hours. She'd been bleeding at least for two hours. The blood was dry. So, to me, it's a missing piece. I would love to hear... I would not love to hear a discussion about the owl. I'm sick of the fucking owl. But if I ever do have to listen to a discussion about the owl again, I need someone to address how the fact that she was now supposedly putting reindeer out at midnight fits, because nobody has ever ever mentioned in the decade and a half this has been going on that she was doing that. So to me, that's a big missing piece. And there are a couple other smaller things like that where people will bring things up, and it's like well what about yeah. well how does that make sense and accuracy and acronyms not really not yet i know more about this case than i really want to yeah and so far nothing he said have i been like no wait that's not right yeah. like that. he's pretty good in his reporting the storytelling is good except for one issue which i'll talk about later it's done Kind of like some other, it's not anything like slow burn, but in that that he takes kind of different topics for each episode. And it's not just this one long narrative, but it's kind of in different topics, although it's got a linear flow. That's good if you don't know anything about the case, you learn enough about it. But if you know a lot about the case, you're not feeling, oh my God, uh, except for the owl thing. Freshness. I'm taking away half a point because I'm so fucking (laughs) sick of the fucking staircase. But on the other hand, it's a British guy looking at it through different eyes, and he's presenting it in a way, a lot of what's been presented about the staircase is, and see, I'm even calling it the staircase, is based on what everybody knows from that documentary. I've also read two books, the Aphrodite Jones one and the Diane Fanning one.
0: So you obviously... More interest in that at one point. Well,
1: I wanted another point of view yes. that, that supported, I felt like the documentary, not yes. this reading, did gave absolutely no acknowledgement at all to the guys, obviously a psychopath. Like yes. People say, oh, he's such a nice guy, I never saw them fighting, but they knew here when he got home, dinner had to be on the table. Yeah, I know. So, and people don't understand That, oh, maybe he wasn't a nice guy, but you were just buffaloed into thinking he was. Yes. So I'm taking half a point for freshness. Repetition, oh my God. So I think part of it is because the episodes are so short, but it's the kind of thing, and I had this problem with another podcast, too, and I can't remember which one it is, that the audio they play from different people involved. Oh, and then they tell you exactly, yeah. No, they repeat it. To the point where you're listening and you're like, have I heard this episode? Because if your iTunes is like mine, sometimes it plays things over instead of playing what you want to hear next. Have I already heard this one? So you get a lot of the same audio played over and over. And maybe part of it is a lack of recognition that people would be binge listening. Like I listen when I'm driving to work. So that's an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. So you're talking about like 17 minute episodes. So I'm listening to a lot of them. And you're hearing the same audio, and you don't always know who it is, but you hear it over to the point, and he repeats points a lot. And, like, he'll play audio from somebody and go a little far, and then the next episode he'll play more of it and talk more about it. And it's possible it works well if you're not listening to them all at once, but the repetitive, it just feels like a lot of wasted time that he could spend doing something else. So I'm taking away a point for repetition, Beating the drum, no. So I took away two and a half. I'm always bad at this because I don't write it down. So it's a 7.5. I do recommend it. Okay. If you can stand listening to stuff about The Staircase, I may actually watch the Netflix... Documentary because they. I added started stuff.
0: watching again. Well, the stuff the first is just the old documentary, right? Which I got tired of. But then the the last part, I guess, is I don't think there's
1: anything new. Well, it's it's disturbing to me that the documentary documentarians they claim I don't know if he's innocent or guilty, but they treat him as though he's innocent. Uh-huh. Another thing that bothered me about the documentary, even though we're not talking about that right now, is the way her daughter. Her biological daughter was treated by her step-siblings. Mm. Yes. And the documentarian little way too much mocking of this poor young woman who was yes. college age when her mother was killed. The other thing is I heard on this, on Beyond Reasonable Doubt, the jurors, when, he, when Michael Peterson was first found guilty, spoiler, they said we looked at the evidence. And the fact that he was bisexual and having... Rendezvous behind his wife's back, even though he claims she knew about it, didn't affect us. And then there's uh, somebody interviewed the documentarian, and he's like, "Oh, they're so provincial there, and obviously that affected what they thought, even though they didn't say." And it's like, and that's an issue I have too, that I was going to bring up that I hadn't, I haven't heard really addressed is the nuance between you're not bothered by somebody being bisexual, you're not bothered by somebody paying for sex. The issue is, and I think it was mentioned once early on, and nobody's really brought it up again in this documentary, Kathleen Peterson, if it bothered her, was because her husband was cheating on her behind her back. Yes. And Michael Peterson claims it was an open marriage and she knew about it. Her sister...
0: Yes, her says, sister says no way. Her
1: sisters say yeah. no way, and I believe the sisters. And so sorry. it's not like Kathleen Peterson. Oh, she's so provincial. She hated bisexuality. It's my husband is having this secret life, and he's spending money we don't have they had a hundred and forty thousand yeah. dollars in credit card debt. Yes. But and the other thing is And that he they were bankrolling his two adult sons. So don't tell me there wasn't tension there. Like people are like, oh what would be the motive they had such a loving she worked her ass off but was in danger of possibly losing yes, her job. She, she worked for Nortel, and they were laying people off. And the thing is, oh they had such a loving marriage. I always saw them great together. Well I can tell you if you're a hundred and forty grand in debt, you live in this fucking mansion you can no longer pay yeah. for her. he's Having bisexual Fair. liaisons and he's well, paying for them and bankrolling. He had called his ex wife and asked her to get a home equity loan mm-hmm. so they could give money to their sons and said, I can't tell Kathleen about this. Don't tell me there's not tension in that. Marriage. But
0: the other thing is, none of that is relevant if what he was doing. Pissed her off enough right. that she confronted him and caused him to kill her. Right, and like he was it doesn't matter what you think of him. And right. What matters is what she thought. Right, right. You it's know not, what I mean? It doesn't
1: matter, right? What you think of bisexuality. It matters. And if you believe and that the theory of what happened is basically she went to use his email. Usually, yes, no one was allowed she, in yes. his study. she, she, she had, had, had left that laptop at her, yep. and she had to go check emails, and that she found yes. out his secret life, and he spent. Two hours, they haven't mentioned it yet on this, killing emails out before he called them. He freaked out. People are like, oh, what would the motive have been? Well, it's right there for you, pal. What I like on Real Crime Profile, even though this isn't about them either, is they did a whole episode about his 911 call where he's doing that fake panting stuff that people who lie on 911 calls do. And some people are saying, oh, he was so grief-stricken. When you listen, it's so fake. But anyway, so beyond reasonable doubt, I give a 7.5.
0: All so what right. do you got? Well, mine is not a true crime one because I was trying to figure out what I've we been watching we lately. Want. And the only thing I've actually been watching, because I haven't been reading much, I've been really tired, and I've been working on stuff, artwork and stuff, and I can't read while oh, I artwork.
1: do that. You don't have to make excuses for why you're not reading.
0: <laughs> I feel like I do. Yeah. I need to. Um, I've had
1: people, like when I'm at a book event or something, come up to me and just say, like, kind of proudly,
0: I don't read. And, and you're like, like, then get the fuck away I from my know, table. I know, like, thank you
1: for coming and telling me that.
0: That's yeah. nice to know. Thank you. So I'm doing Castle Rock. I don't really know why I started watching it. I'm not a big fan of this genre.
1: But you are kind of a Stephen King I fan. I am
0: a Stephen King fan of his books. Yeah. I never really liked The stuff. movies We did always. see it, though. Yeah. Well, what this...
1: You the- the- listen to episode whatever for a rating of that. I can't remember. What oh, yeah. I can't
0: remember which one it was. Yeah. But, anyways, yeah, you'll have to listen to all the episodes <laughs> till you come to that. Stephen King is the executive producer of this show, he didn't write the show. He's not the director. It's J.J. J. Abrams, who did Lost, which I only watched. Oh, I couldn't deal. I couldn't I could watched the deal. beginning was pretty good when it was people's... When the plane crashed. Yeah, you know, and it yeah. was people's, like, the back, their backgrounds right. and stuff. But then it got but stupid. But then, like,
1: then it's like, let's just get really, really confusing for I no reason. I was very confused. And it's like, why watch? And
0: Thanks. also, why was that guy still fat? I'm sorry, but... Even on that show Survivor, the people lose weight. Like that guy was big. Maybe it's that
1: fake thing like people are always saying at Weight Watchers. Well, your body thinks it's starving itself so then you don't lose weight. And then,
0: you know, someone's like, oh, you didn't have a problem with the supernatural. It's like, no, I actually did not. I don't have a problem with supernatural stuff, but I do have a problem with a fat guy that never gets thin. Well, when they're stranded this, on an maybe island maybe i mean Superman, i know that so. might not make sense to some people but i, I don't know i think
1: I but anyway
0: so castle rock is it's kind of weird it's kind of like using themes from stephen king books but he didn't write it and the storyline is you know people are dying and all sorts of people are going to stab bloody and there's something wrong with this town um obviously there's a old prison in the town that was similar Mm. to Thomaston that used to be the Shawshank Redemption. Although the town is nothing like Thomaston. Thomaston's a beautiful town. This town is kind of a grittier town. It was filmed somewhere in Massachusetts. But it does remind me of like Skowhegan, that type of town, like an old mm-hmm. mill town. Anyways, I'll get into that later, but there's a guy that's been chained in the bracement of the prison, someone finds him and blah blah blah. I don't know, you have to watch it to see <laughs> what it's about. I I don't know half of what the hell was going on. So let me just go through the list and then I'll talk some more. Yeah. Bad reenactments, obviously no, it's a it's a friggin' I yeah, gotta pass it's a fiction show. Narrative cliches, not really. I mean unless you count Stephen King Type cliches, and I'll talk about that in the Freshness. But I didn't find the cliches narrative. So you don't have
1: the quirky manner, the, the quirky no, town? No, no,
0: no. Racial, gender, obtusis, no. One of the main characters is a black guy who grew up in this town. He was adopted by Sissy Spacek, plays his mom, and mm. his dad's dead, and you'll find out more about him later. So
1: Carrie grows up and adopts a black kid.
0: Yes. Even though we are a very white state, there are black people in Maine, Yeah, but the town is mostly white. They don't really get into what that was like for him. There is a l- tiny bit of uh, somebody giving him a hard time later, and she says that, oh, when you were a kid, they called you the Black Death or something like that, but that's about the only thing. What's See, it-
1: I would almost feel, and I haven't watched it, so I could be totally wrong, but that That's all racial obtuseness, because the white people who wrote the show don't understand that if you're the only black person in a town, that might be...
0: But it doesn't come up... His childhood isn't shown that much. Right, but even if it's
1: not... I mean, it's just the constant microaggressions. I know. And I stuff know that's there. true. I'll okay. defend
0: it by saying the way, the way the story goes, there isn't much of a chance to see any of that because there's all sorts of other shit going on. Okay. So okay. he might have suffered from that, but we don't know. We don't see it. And there's definitely no gender obtuseness, um, which a well, lot of times there is in Stephen King yeah. books. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. I know you. I know you're a big fan. Yeah. Lack of good visuals. No, actually the visuals are very good. Now almost anything you see just since we got drones now to take pictures yeah. there's a lot of those sky Right. I'll give them credit a lot of times these things you're like oh that was filmed in Oregon that was filmed in Northern right. California right. but no it looks, it looks like, like New Maine. England and it looks like an not an ocean side town but a, in- inland. a inland town. Yeah. Missing pieces, um, I'm taking off a point because Ooh. half the time I didn't know what the fuck was going on and a lot of things were not explained. J.J. Abrams. So. And the one
1: thing I felt that's... with Lost, and this may be some of the same thing, is if you're going to have things that don't make sense and aren't explained, you have to tie them up. Yeah. And when I was watching Lost, and I admit I never got through the first season, I felt like some of the stuff was just gratuitously confusing. Mm-hmm. To be confusing, like when there's gratuitous, quirky characters. To me, that's just annoying, and I don't want to
0: waste my time.
1: And... I know it's your review, but I just wanted to... That's J.J. Abrams, I wanted to say that.
0: Poor J.J. He's a He's He's never going to make a
1: movie of one of my books, I guess.
0: You never know. But then you'd have to really be hands-off, because... Mm. Just take the money. Depends on how
1: much they pay me. Don't watch the movie. I can't be proud right now.
0: Luckily, it's a ten-part thing, and it... I think it ended. I don't think they're doing a second season. I hope not. I won't watch it. But anyways, half the time I didn't know what the fuck was going- I was watching. So I'm taking a point off. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm just stupid, but whatever. No, else? you're not stupid. Um, aw, inaccuracy, anachronisms, not really. But I'm taking a point off because the character who grew up in Maine called it banger. Oh, no way. And then another character who also was from Maine, he called Skowhegan Skowhegan. He pronounced oh, it Jesus Skowhegan. Christ. So, think it's Stephen like, King would yeah, have them Stephen pronounce it right. King. So, that, that deserves a point off. Maybe we should
1: put a link to that video um, of the Bangor. To the tune of We Are the World. We Are Bangor. Somebody on We're Twitter on posted
0: that and said that the people from Bangor, is it North? Where's Bangor? The other Bangor. It Wales, agree with that song and good, liked it. Good. Oh, that's good. So I'm taking a point off, even though it's only two things, because generally it was there wasn't anyone trying to do a shitty Maine accent. That's good. I give them props for that. to so
1: pronounce the town. Sissy
0: right. Spacek has kind of a Maine accent, but she does a good job, and it didn't it didn't grate. i it. It sounded fine. She sounded like someone from Maine. If she she was very very slight. Most of the
1: state people don't have heavy accents.
0: Scott Glenn plays her boyfriend and he's the former sheriff and supposedly from Maine. Okay, I don't like people doing a fake Maine accent, but his accent... Was like whatever his accent is, like almost like southern, but a mid, like a um, southwest. It was just China. a bad accent. It was his the, whatever, however he talks. Okay. And he also is a shit. His acting was very wooden. If you ask okay. me, I hate to be mean.
1: Well, no, you don't.
0: So the, I take a point what the hell? off.
1: No, he's getting paid for um, that too.
0: The storytelling was good, even though it was confusing to me. It was. A, I had to keep watching to see what was going to happen. Freshness. I'm taking a point off. It's almost like. The staleness is almost built into the concept because it's taking a bunch of Stephen King tropes. And if you've read a lot of his books, there's a lot of the same themes. There's a lot of things that are... So it's like, oh, this will be one, blah, blah, blah. Or you'll, yeah, you'll say, oh, it's just like... But if you've read a lot of his books, there's recurring themes and recurring... And that's so...
1: Well, it's one thing for the
0: author to have recurring themes... It's
1: another to take a TV show and just say, hey, let's take all the Stephen King shit. It's based on a bunch of stuff. And it is. It it is. And it's based on a bunch of stuff. So you can recognize it. Oh, look,
0: there's when somebody does this. Oh, look, there's when somebody does that. Exactly. So that's a point off for that. Repetition, no, not really. And beating the drum, no. So I gave it a seven and the acting is, except for Scott Glenn, sorry, is really good in it. I thought it was, uh, it was gory. So if you don't like that, don't watch it. A lot of people dying and getting killed and stabbing each other and, you know, cause people freak out, which is another one of his things. People, normal people freaking out and doing like violent things. That mm-hmm. happens in almost all his books. If you like that kind of thing, I would recommend it. But if you're from Maine... You're going to be pissed when you hear those two pronunciations. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, come on, Stephen King. It's not that hard to get it right. You're executive producer. Yeah. Don't have a friggin' drug dealing kid say Scohegan. No, oh my yeah. grandmother didn't go to Scohegan to get a prescription is what he said. And I'm like, Scohegan? Are you fucking kidding me? But besides that, I oh, oh I want to say Melanie Linsky plays the lead there's a lead woman and she is very good. She was in the um, well, she used to be in Two and a Half Men. She was in Shattered Glass. She was in Shattered Glass. She was in the one when she was a teenager with Kate Winslet um, Beautiful Creature. No. Yeah, I
1: know which
0: one you're talking yeah, about. Her. The one based on that Author who killed her mother, so she's very good in it. And Andre Holland is the uh, lead, he plays Henry Deaver, who's the guy that grew up and he's adopted. He's very good, and a lot of shit happens to him. The thing I liked about the acting in this is nobody, like, is well, all the actors are really good, they're no one overacts or right,
1: they're not chewing the No, right
0: they're yet. not, they're very good. So, Bill skarsgård Plays, they call him the kid in the closed captioning. He doesn't really have a name, although he does say it's a long story. You have to watch it. I don't want to spoil it. But he is also pretty good in it. He also played the Clown in it, but we don't oh yeah you know, eyes are kind of wonky. Jane Levy plays Jackie Torrance, who's this annoying character who I actually don't mind her, but I don't really understand the point of her and the why she is in the show like what her what's her point? So I would recommend it if you are a Stephen King fan and if you're a fan of the movies based on his books and and if you liked Lost mm-hmm. and if you like all that shit, then you'll like it. Yeah. And you've probably already watched it, and you probably think I'm an idiot. Well, so, they, but no, they don't think that. If they do have a second season, I don't know. I'd probably watch it, but I don't know. Depends on what else is on. Okay. So that's and so the set. world's
1: had a seven. Seven. So those were our recommendations, and we should probably wrap things up.
0: Yes.
1: So you can find our website, Crime and Stuff, online. Yes. And you can find pretty much everything. And we're on Facebook. Know. And Twitter. Although we, haven't we done have much a page, I know we've been bad. Media,
0: yeah. Sorry, we're bad so time. bad. Yeah. It's hard to keep I up, done it for anything. Yeah, and so, we'll be
1: back in two weeks with me doing one.
0: Woo! Yep,
1: I was gonna do one thing, but then
0: something else came up yeah, and I sure. thought I'd do that instead. So, okay, we'll see you next time. Yep, thanks Bye-bye. for listening. God damn it, why does it have to be so fucking slow? I
1: hate Fucking hate iTunes. I do too. For what they do to me.
0: No, I don't want. No, 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 no. Please share Jesse's story with. God damn mm-hmm. it. share Jesse's fucking story. Uh, well, why can't I get into Can what I want? want? Jesus of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my God, will this hell never end? Uh,
0: you don't live here anymore.
1: No, I don't. But I have flashbacks.
0: Please do something about the fucking phone. They
1: wait. They don't want to answer it. They wait. Deputy mm-hmm. says man in green shirt fired at him in Belgrade. Ooh. A defense attorney presented was the cried. Kennedy That's County Sheriff's Office sergeant did. pressed on the color of the t shirt worn by the man firing <clears> a gun at him. <throat> wow, this is a bad, poorly written story. Who wrote this? <laughs> sergeant Jacob Pierce, who fatally shot Roger Boobar, Boobar. And his son Scott oh, I stand that fifteen months ago in Belgrade, testified Thursday she saw man in a green shirt. I rubbed that today. Boobar.